Hey, it's Brian. I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for the amazing support and feedback on Let's Talk About Chef. We're only two episodes into season one, and we're already surpassing everything we could have ever hoped for. Let's Talk About Chef takes a lot of work in both the research and the writing of every episode, and as much as we would love to bring you a new episode every week, it's just not possible. However, we didn't want to leave you guys waiting for a bi-weekly show, so we've decided to launch a new series right here. In the weeks between episodes of Let's Talk About Chef, we are proud to present 86th History, the short-form podcast that will dive into forgotten history about food, written and hosted by me. So, next Wednesday, our newest episode of Let's Talk About Chef will premiere, and in the meantime, let's get right into 86th History, Feasting on Gluttony. Oh, and before we begin, please subscribe and review the show if you have the time. It really helps to spread the word about us. The word feast has never really been attractive to me. The idea of sitting down either by yourself or surrounded by hundreds of others and stuffing your face with food and booze until you can't breathe has always seemed kind of weird. I can remember learning about Roman feasts in high school during history class, and although the teacher was trying to tiptoe the line of what he was allowed to tell us and what the school board didn't want us to know, like after most Roman feasts there would be massive orgies that sometimes lasted days, we were never taught about what kind of food was eaten during these things. And as you're about to find out, it was nuts. Throughout the history of cuisine, there have been individuals who have taken the idea of gluttony and gone so far beyond the realm of sanity in their pursuit of it that the tales of their escapades hardly seem real. Welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk About Chef Presents 86th History, and today we're talking about a few of the most insane stories of food, feasting, and substance abuse you have never heard of before. Empire was huge. It stretched from Syria in the east to Great Britain in the west. At one point, one-fifth of the entire world's population lived in it. And if you were rich and lived in Rome, you had a pretty great life. Being rich in Rome meant a lot of things. Big houses, slaves, harems of prostitutes whenever you wanted them. But back then, having a big house, lots of land and horses only impressed people so much. The goal of the rich in Rome was to stand out among the other rich elite, impress them. And the only way you did that was by throwing the best party. Throwing a feast meant that you spared no expense. You had proteins brought in from all over the empire. Lion from Africa. Parrot from the deserts. And it's not like they were shot and put on ice and brought to you on a plane. They had to be captured alive, put on carts brought by horse to your house, sometimes thousands of miles over mountains, deserts, and rivers, being kept alive the whole time. In some cases, if you wanted to have the ostrich on your menu at a party, it wasn't uncommon for the recipe for the dish to start weeks in advance. For the entire trip from Africa, this bird must be fed olives and grapes to help with the gamey flavor. Think about that. 
you had to ship olives and grapes to Africa in advance of the capture of an ostrich so that it could be fed them while it made its way back to your house for your party weeks later. Insane. Now, as much as we would hope that menus for these feasts would have survived the sack and fall of Rome, they didn't. Most of what we know about these feasts comes from paintings and drawings. However, one document does exist. One account by an actual Roman celebrity chef, whose job was to arrange and plan these epic meals for the Roman elite. The chef's name was Apicus, the Jamie Oliver of his day. Everyone knew who he was, and he produced the oldest known surviving cookbook in the world. Every ingredient that follows had to be sourced from the location it came from. Every spice, oil, honey, and animal had to be found and brought across the empire to this genius of a chef for him and his assumably large team of cooks, we don't actually know how many there were, to make the food possible. Now keep in mind, please, add to the following menu endless supplies of the known world's finest wine, alcohol, dancers, acrobats, exotic animals, and sex. Appetizers. Jellyfish and eggs. Sow udders stuffed with salted sea urchins. A patina of brains cooked with milk and eggs. Boiled tree fungi with peppered fish fat, followed by sea urchins with spices, honey, oil, and egg sauce or an early version of hollandaise. The main courses were deer roasted in an onion sauce with roux, jericho dates, raisins, oil, and honey. Next, an entire boiled ostrich with sweet sauce and a turtle dove boiled in its feathers, followed by roasted parrot. Then you had dormice, so mice, stuffed with pork and pine kernels. Then, a ham boiled with figs and bay leaves, rubbed with honey and baked in pastry. And then finally, a flamingo boiled with dates. Then for dessert, roses with pastry, stoned dates stuffed with nuts, pine kernels, fried in honey, and then hot African sweet wine cakes with honey. You cannot tell me that was not an insane party. Hey, it's Brian. I wanted to take a second to talk to you about Koval Distillery. Established in 2008, Koval produces organic whiskey, liqueurs, and specialty spirits in Chicago's first distillery since the mid-1880s. Koval embraces the grain-to-bottle mentality, and each step of the spirit-making process is thoughtfully monitored using local farmers to grow the grains. Koval has grown to be one of America's leading small-batch independent spirit manufacturers, you can find Koval's amazing whiskey wherever fine spirits are sold. And please be sure to visit them at kovaldistillery.com. And now, back to the show. In August of 2007, something happened in Bangkok, Thailand, that will probably make a few of you very, very angry or jealous.
six Michelin three-starred chefs. That's a kitchen of 18 Michelin stars. Closed their restaurants for a few days, got together and cooked a 10-course meal for 15 of the wealthiest people in the world whose identities remained a very closely guarded secret. The chefs came from France, Switzerland, and Germany. The wine was some of the most rare and expensive in all of the world. And the food? The food was flown in from 35 cities by private jet fresh from every corner of the globe. The lobster came from Maine, the oysters from France and southern Australia. The Kobe beef was from the most expensive Kobe beef farm in Japan. You know, the one that rubs its cows in sake every day. One night, one meal served on the 65th floor of a Bangkok hotel prepared by some of the finest chefs in the entire world. Cost, $29,800 per person or 1 million Thai baht. The group that dined there called themselves, and I'm not joking, the Epicurean Masters of the World. The first course was creme brulee of foie gras with tonga beans paired with a 1990 Louis Cristal. Second, a tartare of Kobe beef with imperial beluga caviar, oysters paired with a 1995 Krug Mesnil. Third, a mousseline of pâté rouge crawfish with morel mushroom infusion paired with a 2000 Charlemagne. Fourth, a tart of scallops and black truffle with a 1996 Mortrachet. Five, a lobster ossobuco with a 1985 Romani Conti. Six, ravioli with guinea fowl, burrata cheese, and a veal reduction paired with a 1961 Chateau Palme. Seventh, a saddle of lamb and a 1955 Chateau Rothschild. Eight, you know, a sorbet with Dom Perignon. Nine, supreme of pigeon en croute with mushroom sauce and a 1961 Chateau Briand. Ten, veal cheeks with truffles and a 1955 Chateau Latour. And for dessert, an imperial gingerbread pyramid with caramel and salted butter ice cream, and a 1967 Chateau de Quem. All for $29,800. That's $447,000 in total that 15 people paid for dinner. Hey, it's Lindsay. I'm married to the chef that hosts this podcast, and despite popular belief, the last thing he wants to do after a shift is come home and make me a well-balanced and delicious meal. Thanks to HelloFresh, I no longer have to endure another frozen pizza or cold fast food burger ever again. HelloFresh delivers packaged meals right to our door every week with innovative options that cater to both of our tastes. Each bag has all of the ingredients you need. I've even convinced his meditarian ship to indulge in an open-faced fried halloumi sandwich with gremolata and tomato salad. Score one for the heart healthy. Join the HelloFresh revolution by visiting their website at hellofresh.com or if you live in Canada, hellofresh.ca. If you're already a convert like we are, share photos of your meals at hashtag HelloFreshLife. And now back to the show. 
There was one man whose appetite for gluttony got him fame, fortune, and notoriety. He's had movies made about him, books written about him, and still, even today, years after his suicide and his ashes were shot out of a cannon that looked like a clenched fist that was made for his funeral by Johnny Depp, it's still unbelievable that he survived for as long as he did. Hunter S. Thompson was an enigma. His tolerance for alcohol and drugs was so legendary and so completely insane that his daily consumption of substances is a shocking thing to behold. The man was a glutton. A genius, yes, without a doubt. But just wait for it. At 3 o'clock p.m., he would wake up. And by 3.05, he would be drinking Chivas Regal whiskey while smoking Dunhill cigarettes and reading the morning paper. At 3.45, he would do some cocaine. At 3.50, he would have another glass of Chivas and smoke more cigarettes. At 4.05, a cup of coffee and more cigarettes. At 4.15, cocaine followed directly after by fresh-squeezed orange juice. At 4.30, more cocaine. At 4.54 cocaine. At 5.05, some more cocaine. Then at 5.11 p.m., more coffee and cigarettes. At 5.30, he would start to add more ice to his whiskey to water it down. Then at 5.45, more cocaine. And at 6 o'clock, he would start to smoke weed to take the edge off. He's now been awake for three hours. At 7.05 p.m., he would go to the Woody Creek Tavern for lunch which would consist of Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, cigarettes, another Heineken, go to the bathroom to do cocaine, and then for his ride back to his house, a snow cone, which was basically a glass of shredded ice with four ounces of Chivas poured over top of it. At nine o'clock, he would start to snort cocaine seriously. He was getting ready to write. At 10 o'clock p.m., he would drop acid. And by 11, tripping out, he would drink chartreuse, snort cocaine, and smoke weed to stop the hallucinations. Then, by 11.30, he would start to perk himself up again by taking more cocaine repeatedly until midnight when he was finally ready to sit in front of his typewriter. So, between the hours of midnight and 6 in the morning, Hunter would imbibe in more cocaine, chartreuse, weed, chivas, coffee, beer, clove cigarettes, regular cigarettes, grapefruits, more orange juice, gin, and also he would have porn playing in the background constantly. At 6 o'clock a.m., after a job well done, it was freshly made fettuccine Alfredo, a recipe that was actually a closely guarded secret, and then champagne before turning in for the night at 8.20 a.m. He did this every single day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk About Chef 86th History. This episode was written by me, Brian Clark, and produced by Timothy McDonald. Our theme song is Cone of Light by the Almighty Defenders. Next week on Wednesday, we are back with another episode of Let's Talk About Chef, where we dive into the life of Ferran Adria of El Bulli in Spain. You can reach out to us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or join us on Instagram at letstalkaboutchef. 
Again, if you could have the time, please review or rate us on iTunes. It really helps spread the word. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. I'm Brian Clark.